Welcome back to Fair the Inkwell. Um, so this pitch goes back to what I mentioned the other day about, you know, I was trying to put the bug in your mind of Edward Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. Frankenstein. I yeah. don't know if you, you put any thought into those. So what I was thinking about, because, um, you know, it's the Halloween season and we were looking for scary movies and my wife brought up... Uh, you know, a lot of Tim Burton's work and specifically Edward Scissorhands got me thinking. We are kind of losing out on a certain trope that came from the Victorian and exploration eras where you have the crazy scientist who's a fringe scientist who's on to something. And so in, you know, Edward Scissorhands case, he, he assembles a mannequin that comes to life. And in Frankenstein, they assemble a being that comes to life. And I think, so we've seen some stuff like that, of the, the, the fringe scientist that brings something to life. We've seen a little bit of that in the, with the modern setting, but not a lot of it. I think, uh, crap, I can't even think of the movie. that Like there was one, I don't know, anyway, they, they birth this being. And, and it, it occurred to me that, um, it's almost, I don't even know if it's necessary that these types of stories are a tragedy. Like they mm-hmm. tend to be a tragedy because Edward Scissorhands is a very sad story, mm-hmm. like at the end of it. And Frankenstein is a very sad story because it, it serves to highlight humanity's uh, tendency towards alienating the other. And uh, so I was thinking like, where is this, like write the story of the mad scientist who brings something to life in some way that our, a modern audience would understand and then maybe not have it be a tragedy. I mean, it, it, I guess in this day and age, it would turn to robotics and that would be a very easy thing to do. Mm. Like, uh, cause you know, I also thinking about like the bicentennial man where he was a, a robot that longed to be human long enough that he he upgraded upgraded you know in quotes his parts to synthetic organs and synthetic stuff that like implants that normal humans would have up to the point where the only difference between his physical form and a human's physical form as far as like the biology went is he had this barrier in his brain that prevented damage to the you know the the matrix you know whatever electronics was going on in his head and at some point in order to get people to accept him as human he removes that barrier and immediately he's that's when he starts deteriorating and aging so he he accepts his own death by doing that but he all but he does it in the name of the pursuit of humanity Mm. he doesn't feel like he's can actually have a life until death is well it's just like nobody will accept him as a okay uh, you know in like because because he's a robot mm-hmm. again i think i don't remember the book well I, the one i'm thinking about is is uh the movie was called bicentennial man i don't remember the book the one i read was called was by robert silverberg but yeah but like he's he's looking for acceptance and that's the way to get acceptance is to you know kill himself and actually what did i just watch yeah we just watched uh Oh, crap. I can't remember now. This is going to be one of those long pauses we'll have to take out. But anyway, so I, I'm just thinking like the the because that's a really like discovery oriented 
genre that we're starting to lose out on because the natural world is becoming known so rapidly. And so we've lost the exploration of the unknown and, and we're, we're pushing the frontiers to the places where the individual may not know everything. But as a, as a culture, as a whole, as a, as a world and a species, we have started to unravel like all of the unknowns. And now there's no, none of that thrill of discovery, none of the fringe, fringe scientists studying something in ancient Egypt that discovers mm-hmm. something and nobody will believe him because it's so out there. But he's, it's still like within the scientific method. And then, you know, then it ends up being a tragedy because, you know, because of human nature and all that. And so I, I'm thinking, write the modern story, write the modern equivalent of that and keep it on the earth, like in within boundaries that we understand. Like, you know, you could set it maybe down in the ocean where somebody, a scientist is living in a habitat and he does mm-hmm. something there or possibly up in the space station. But if you if you go too far out, you're going to end up with aliens and robots, like all these tropes that are very well known. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like the Edward Scissorhands. Like, where is that sense of discovery going? You know, oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, are you thinking in terms of like, say, keep this in a humanized, like we can we can emote with this with this uh, character, uh, the the one that that were or the either the discoverer or the discover e or the construct e, like Frankenstein's monster, if you will. Right. You know, like people were supposed to sympathize with the monster when they were reading it and not simply view him as a monster? Or uh, is this also something that could be open to say just something that's completely non-human that we don't understand at all? Uh, or what's the, I yeah, guess my what question are the is, boundaries what's, the, of it? Um, yeah, what's the message that we're... Because I think what it is, like what I'm what I'm pining after is that sense of, of discovery and the Senate, like, you know, the fringe science that, that so many, so few people believe in. And then you're throwing in those human elements by having that construct mm. look and behave human. And possibly in the, you know, in the case of Frankenstein was created from human parts, but just by its very nature, we cannot truly understand its existence. Um, you know, and even, even with a, you know, maybe a robot that becomes sentient, like, this Asimov tackled a lot of this, like when is a robot when is a robot sufficiently complex that it's indistinguishable from a human, you know? Mm-hmm. Like so you're you're kind of pushing that fringe idea of, of discovery and like the you know, the craziness of taking disparate pieces of of uh disparate pieces of, of different professions and putting them together rather than having that narrow lens of like, Oh, Egypt, Egyptology always focuses on the history of Egypt in that context. So mm-hmm. they find something in, you know, the, in the Valley of the Kings and they, they slot it into place within the known story. But what if the known story is absolutely incorrect? You know, I've, I've watched a lot of these kind of, odd ideas about Egypt and it's like what if we find that discovery that that invalidates the entire body of what we know about that particular civilization and we have to reassess and I mean it's this 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 uh I mean yeah the more I talk about it the more I think it's really what I'm missing is that 
that sense of discovery because even with uh, Edward Scissorhands, like he behaves like a child because he's a new being, but he's also, you know, an adult man, so to speak. Like, yeah. So, so I, I can think of two, two scenarios that, that would play to this very, very well. Uh, at least I think very well. One is um, uh, kind of an obvious one where, you know, homo sapiens, we're all homo sapiens. Every human being on the planet right now is homo sapiens and that's it. And so what's that next level of evolution? Mm. You know, there's a lot of discussion right now on if humans have stopped evolving, like, are have we, are we it like now, like we're not going to change into something else. We're not going to become another species because of globalization and how DNA is more or less homogenized across most of the world. Now we have such free ability to travel from, you know, you can be born in the United States and you can go and, uh, marry somebody in Japan and, you know, like have children there and stuff, you know? Right. So there's, there's, what is the next step? If that's not the case, then what is the next step past homo sapiens? So right. what if the first few or for the first person is born, that is clearly not homo sapien, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, well, so what's that, you know? Right. And, and I know that, that, comic book fans are going to be like, well, they've already done this. This is the X-Men, but you know, like, come on. Like, you're, you're thinking <laughs> further than superhuman. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like not, not somebody that can, you know, lift cars with their brain and stuff. I'm just right. thinking like, what if it's somebody who has faster or somebody you know, who's got a little, uh, like more lung capacity or, or just some small change, you know, somebody who's thought process is different than homo sapiens. And so they solve puzzles in completely unique and new and interesting ways, you know? Yeah. So something on the other end of homo sapiens, but then also you could have a story that's the back end where we've got global warming. The tundra in Russia is melting like crazy and, and exploding. New... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's whole, whole towns are vanishing, but um, you've got like, uh, animal bones that have been buried under the ice for years coming up bacteria and viruses are starting to resurface that haven't been seen in hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, so what, you know, like what if you have human DNA that's recoverable and people say, well, I want to clone this guy, you know? Right. And, uh, and then you've got ne- Well, I, I mean, the easy one to say is Neanderthals because that's the one everybody knows about, but there are like right. 14 other human species. It's just, they don't live around. They don't live there anymore. Right. They're, you know, they're done. Like, <laughs> so what yeah. if humans have to share the planet again with a different species of human? Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know what that would be like. <laughs> How could we relate to them? You know, like, right. <laughs> would we fear them? And, we... and what, what would the significance, significant differences be? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously what, like what pops into mind first is the, the, the tendency for us to categorize and group and then hate a group that's not us. Like that's a very obvious scenario. Like, you know, um, but yeah, I think, uh, the X files did one about a, an, a, an ancient, uh, bacteria that, you know, pops up in Antarctica or something like that. Oh, I think I remember that episode. Yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. you actually brought up a good point though, because comic books have touched on, almost every topic that there is to touch upon Mm -hmm. like because the body of work is so accessible 
and the the art i mean the art side of it is a little harder to be proficient at but the mm-hmm. you know but the writing of that style of work is um you know you don't you don't have to write a novel <laughs> you just have to write like settings and and panes of dialogue and stuff like i'm not saying it's any easier but it's seems simpler although i've not tried yeah. my hand at it um but yeah so you know, maybe maybe what I'm even envisioning with this, uh, you know, exploration of of the unknown is it's already been done. And you know, even like Star Trek is pushing out into the into the unknown and mm-hmm. and discovering things. So yeah, so you know, that kind of actually negates the entire idea that I had coming into this. I, I would I would say <laughs> no. I would say that there are only a few real, truly unique ideas that exist in the world. And the rest of us are just taking our own spin on those ideas, you know? So, you know, I think that if you have a new idea about an old genre or an old trope, an old trope, then run with it. You know, like you might give a fresh perspective to something that people have been craving and they didn't even know they wanted, you know, like you, you can, like Isaac Asimov is not the first one who did robot science fiction, you know? <laughs> and, right. uh, uh, I, I mean, I mean, you could say that HG Wells is, you know, the father of some science fiction that right. we've got, but of the uh, golden era, exactly. Yeah. You know, where, <laughs> where he wasn't actually a scientist trying to do stuff. He was just, it was you know, like, we talked he just, about it. He a, just knew scientists. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like we, <laughs> in, a, in another podcast, we, we talked about, uh, how the difference between science and magic when you're writing can, they can be almost synonymous because literally somebody pushes a button on a control panel and if something happens. And what's the difference between that and somebody like saying a spell out of a book yeah. and something happens, it's just action reaction without, having to explain all the mechanics and right. everything in the or, middle. Or so describe the forces involved. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I watch an episode of star Trek and they're, they're like, well, if we reverse polarization on the magnetosphere, then, you know, we can save the planet from the asteroid. That's 60,000 years old right. and covered in an ant civilization. You know, like I have to just take it for granted that there is, that they can reverse the polarization of their magnetosphere. I, I don't know. you know, So like, right. I don't know what, what their magnetosphere reversal device on the enterprise looks like. Right. Nor how does it run and <laughs> exactly. what powers it. Yeah. That is, that's the suspension <laughs> of disbelief. Yeah. Hmm. So if you got a new idea, for my old trope, my opinion is just go with it, you know, yeah. just, just, just run with it and not give even a single thought to the fact that maybe somebody has done something similar before because right. your idea could be way better than theirs. Right. And so if you have an idea about the inventor, the crazy inventor mm. that's pushing the limits, of some aspect of modern, the modern world that we, you know, probably something we take for granted, you know, please write it down and yeah. And share it with us if you get the chance. Cause I, we'd love to hear from you. I think that if I can say one more thing, yeah, what occurred to me when you were talking about this, when you were originally making the pitch was that the act of discovery is, seems to be the very romantic notion mm-hmm. of, of this particular storyline because discovery today in the modern era, in the 21st century, which feels weird even saying because I'm old, <laughs> but it's like, I'm living in the future, <laughs> but in the 21st century, the act of discovery is so minute. It's, right. it's literally, it can, 
it's usually like a couple of guys in a lab pouring over math papers and physics papers and then setting up hyper complex experiments. Exactly. And coming up with an equation that most normal people just are not going to understand, but just lights the physics world on fire. You know? Right. Right. And, and what, what I think you're talking about is that personal level of discovery where you've got a real person who's like in their homegrown lab, maybe, or their castle, you know, <laughs> and, and just, you know, like they are, they're the ones who are like pushing the boundaries that, and we can relate to them because well, it, it's more humanized to yeah, us. In a and, way. and I think one of the big elements to that, that, that kind of comes to mind right now is the, the tragedy of those discoveries, because first of all, it's tragic to the, to the inventor, to the scientist, because, you know, the Futurama did an episode about this where Farnsworth discovers the base of all matter. Mm. And he's, he's like, yes, I did it. And then his subsequent life after that is dull and meaningless and boring because he has made the last discovery. Oh, man. Okay. And so I yeah. think that this trope is inherently tragic because of that, because the type of person that's pursuing these is going to want to keep pursuing them. And so if you finish your work, if, if the, the master maker had finished Edward Scissorhands, then he would have nothing to further himself with. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess in that movie he dies before his work is done, which then the tragedy falls on the shoulders of the creation. And that too, like, I mean, with the atomic bomb, the tragedy, like the discovery is there. They're, they're researching this, this stuff that's new and it's, it's exciting. And then, then the tragedy sets in once the use for that thing has happened. So it's like, I think this type of big discovery, you know, big ideal, big, like pushing into the unknown is almost inherently tragic. And, and, you know, you brought up, this actually brings up a point that I had thought about before we started talking, but I forgot to mention is that, uh, and it just escapes me now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were born in the 20th century, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I forget what I, what it was. There was something, something particular about this that, uh, that I needed to bring up, but no, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gone happens to the best of us oh my gosh okay well like you were like we were going to close that part out anyway and yeah. uh and say hey if you guys have you know comments and recommendations and and you have a, another idea about this or, or or whatever then let us know in the comments and uh or an email once we get our email up and running uh someday but <laughs> but we're writers so you know when's that gonna happen exactly <laughs> <laughs> it happens today yeah anyway i think that uh so that we're at about 20 minutes now almost so sure. it's probably a good time to go ahead and close out the podcast right. and we'll talk about some more stuff next time okay so i've i've been jim and dustin and we're at fair the inkwell and we'll see you next time